Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming today. There's, such, there's always such a good choice of seminars here, but today I think is an outstanding choice. I don't know how you decide where to go. Uh, I don't have any choice. I have to be here, but, but you've chosen to be here, so thank you. That's an encouragement, especially when there's so many other good things. Let me just start with a few commercials whilst people are coming in. I mentioned yesterday that... Uh, the material that I'm sharing is taken from this book, Rhythms of Grace. Uh, you can find that on the bookstore. Um, and uh, a new book that I've written uh, has just come out this year on the book of Psalms. I don't think they have copies there, actually, but uh, uh, you may be able to find it elsewhere. It's called Deep Calls to Deep, Spiritual Formation in the Hard Places um, of Life. So that's just a title to look out for as well. And then yesterday we gave you an invitation to uh, the Clear Pass program of retreats and quiet days. If you didn't get one of these leaflets, I've got some more here today. And uh, we'd be very encouraged if you could um, take one for yourself, but take it, pass it around your church, give it to your minister, because some of these programs are for ministers, uh, just to help people also develop their relationship and their walk with God. So these will be at the front and you can come and get them afterwards. So this is the second of this uh, trio of seminars with the title Rhythms of Grace. And by grace we are thinking of the unconditional love of God which is continually flowing towards us. The story of Jacob is a wonderful story, isn't it? It encourages us to realize that God loves us despite our weaknesses and flaws and imperfections and continues to work with us, working in us and through us. And I find that story uh, a great encouragement personally. Uh, I remember at one time when I was struggling with my own weaknesses and sense of failure, God spoke to me and he said, Tony, I can draw a straight line even with a crooked stick. And I felt like Jacob, a crooked stick. But God can draw a straight line with us. And his grace is continually flowing towards us, that unconditional love of God. And what we're looking about here is kind of how to live in rhythm with the grace of God, which is continually flowing towards us. How to keep in step with God, as it were. How to dance to the beat of his heart, if you know that Graham Kendrick, Kendrick song. Uh, teach me to dance to the beat of your heart. How it is that we can place ourselves in the way of grace, so that that grace continues to flow to us, and we are receiving it on a daily basis. So yesterday, our thought was about coming from the circumference of life, from the edges to its center, uh, through the disciplines of what we call stillness, silence, and solitude, the three S's. And what we were saying was that, th that they bring us to the point where we become centered as people. Rather than being fragmented and distracted and all over the place, when we learn to be still, when we enter into silence, when we take time to be alone in the presence of God, we become centered again. And our soul and our spirit needs these, this atmosphere of stillness and silence and solitude. Just as our body needs certain vitamins to keep it in good health, so your soul 
needs moments when you are still and quiet and alone before God. But today we're going to think about the second movement, that having come to that center, as it were, centered upon God, then we are able to go deeper into God and deeper into the love of God. That's the journey that we are called to, so that we know ourselves to be loved by God, and then, because we are so full of God's love, that love can begin to flow out from us, like a, a river, like a stream that becomes life-giving to others. So receiving love and then giving love. Being blessed and then becoming a blessing to others. Uh, in the story of Jacob, actually, uh, we, we didn't have time this morning to go on from there, but you will see in that story that from that moment on, Having been blessed by God, Jacob becomes a blessing. And wherever he goes, he blesses other people. He blesses his children. He blesses Pharaoh in Egypt. And he just becomes somebody, wherever he goes, blessing follows him. He becomes a source of blessing to others. And that's what we're looking for. We're not just kind of focusing on the inner life just because for the sake of it. We're focusing on the inner life because the inner life is the source of the outer life. That our being is the spring for our doing. It flows out of it. And uh, we have to keep the inner life alive and well so that the very life of God can flow through us. So hopefully you've got some uh, notes this morning. We're going to look at three of the disciplines, three of the things that we can uh, take with us into these times of stillness and silence and solitude. Three holy habits, as it were, that we can practice. These are disciplines in the sense of these are things that will help us, things that we can do. Our part, as it were, God is continually reaching out to him, to us, but how do we respond to him? We do so through the practice of spiritual disciplines but they're not meant to be legalistic. They're not meant to be things that bind you and condemn you because you don't do it. They are helpful practices, holy habits. Things that you get into the way of doing and they become instinctive to you and natural. Just the way that you respond. But never meant to be a burden. Never meant to be something that you do legalistically. They are channels of life, not bringers of condemnation. So try and remember that. And actually, we're only able to practice them because God gives us the grace to do it anyway. So this grace is flowing towards us, and God actually gives us grace to lift our hand to offer to him our empty cup that he may fill it again. But even the lifting of our hand, in a sense, we do with the help of God and because he is energizing us. So the first... Uh, Discipline that we want to think about this morning is reflection, by which we mean the ability to think backwards or to think over our life, to pause and to take stock, and to consider what is happening, what is going on all around us, to consider our ways. We practice this in a number of ways, uh, but first of all, I'd like to read to you a verse from Second Timothy here. Chapter 2 and verse 7, which is really about how to receive the word of God when we hear it spoken, as we have done this morning. 
And often we will be in the context at church or in other places where we hear the word of God. But what do we do with it then? Do we reflect upon it? I think this is really one of the missing things in Christian education. We hear, but we do not reflect. And so we lose that which we heard. In order to conserve it, in order to keep it, you need to reflect upon it and then act upon your reflection. So Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. In other words, as Paul is reading these words from Timothy, he says, if you will reflect upon it, you will do this work of actually thinking deeply about it and applying it to your life and asking, what is God saying to me through this? Then God will give you insight. And that insight will come to you personally, and it will be your insight. There's a great tendency, I think, in, in our churches that we breed people who are passive. They are listeners only. So we turn up at church very faithfully, and somebody who has studied preaches the Word of God to us, and we love it, and we hear it, but we ourselves are actually quite passive. In a sense, we turn up and we're saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, like little birds in a nest, instead of feeding ourselves from the Word of God. But God wants us all, when we hear the Word of God, to reflect on it and to say, okay, God, I've just heard this wonderful message about the life of Jacob. What are you saying to me through what I have heard, and what should I do about it? That's the way in which you conserve the Word of God and really take the goodness out of it, and it is transferred into your life and makes a difference. I don't know if you are by nature, I'm a, ref a, a, a reflective person. I didn't used to be, and I can remember being at school in particular, because my personality is more extrovert in some ways, and... When we were studying for exams, the teacher would always say, when you've finished your work, check it through. So if you're doing an exam, when you've finished, go over it. Check your spellings, check your, your adding up, if it's math or something like that. But that was the bit I always hated to do. I wanted to be the first to finish with as much time left as possible and then get on to the next thing. And that's actually how many of us live our lives. We want to finish quickly and then want to get on to the next thing. I was looking around this morning in the tent and I think I saw it yesterday, but today, even before we've finished, people are getting up and they're going out. I think we haven't finished yet. Where are people going? Because like getting coffee is more important. I assume that's what people are doing. <laughs> that's more important than actually taking those last few minutes to pray and say, God, what have you just said to me? It's like that's the key moment and everybody's leaving. But that's how we live. We live unreflective lives. A, man, a wise man, Socrates, said, the unexamined life is no life at all. You will never change. You will never grow if you just listen to it and then cast it aside and get on to the next thing. That's what we mean by reflection. It's a discipline, really. And also, it's a discipline of like coming awake to what God is doing all around us. Because sometimes it's as if we are sleepwalking our way through life. And God is there, 
but we never see or hear. Because we are so wrapped up in ourselves and our agenda, sometimes we're living at such a pace we don't notice anyway. It's like, you know, you get in your car and you're driving along as fast as you can and the scenery is whizzing by. You don't even take in what's coming by. And we live our lives like that. One of the things I love about the story of Jacob, and it was alluded to this morning, was his encounter. The first encounter he had with God, which was at uh, this place that he later named Bethel, the house of God. And Jacob arrives there, doesn't he? And uh, all this has gone on in his life, and he puts himself down to sleep. And then God speaks to him through the dream. And when Jacob wakens, he says this. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. I was not aware of it. See, actually God was there, but Jacob was unaware that God was there. Until he woke up. And then suddenly he realized, actually, this is not just a deserted place. This is not just a place with no name. It had no name. It's not just a, the back of the desert. This actually is a sacred place. And Jacob was, became awake to all that God was doing around him. And this ability to reflect is actually to the ability to notice what's going on around us. To notice... The hand of God, the presence of God, God whose presence enfolds us in everything that we do. If we have eyes to see, but we often don't have eyes to see. Jacob woke up and he saw. God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and asked a very simple question. He said, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? Jeremiah said, I see an almond tree. What was before him? An almond tree. An almond tree just coming into blossom. The almond tree is the first of the trees to bud in spring. And so he saw a tree just coming into blossom, the sign of spring. And, and God said to him, yeah, you see correctly, Jeremiah, because it may seem to you that I have been dormant and nothing has happened, but now my word is going to start to come into action. And it's like things are going to wake up. This is a moment of springtime. God spoke to him through a very natural thing, which he saw the tree, the tree in blossom. And that tree became, for him, a sign of the presence of God. God spoke to him about what was happening because he had eyes to see. What do you see? Sherlock Holmes said to Watson, Watson, you see, but you do not observe. In other words, your eyes are open, but you're not actually seeing what's there. And we can walk through life with our eyes open, but not see, actually, the glory of God all around us. Another story is the story of Moses in the desert when he saw the burning bush. And God spoke to him from the burning bush and he saw it and he said, I must turn aside and see this strange sight. And when he took time to turn aside and to see what he had noticed, then God spoke to him out of the burning bush. And it became to him a symbol and a, a representation of the presence of God and, and God called to him out of the burning bush. But Moses had to choose to turn aside. To be reflective, you have to have time to turn aside. You have to make that choice 
when you feel God is saying something, when you feel it's a moment of God coming close to you, you say, yeah, I'm going to turn aside. I've got to see this that is happening and that uh, is going on in my own life, just to notice what, what is happening. There's a famous poem, you've perhaps come across it, by Elizabeth Browning. She said, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest stand round and gather blackberries. What does she mean? She means you can see a blackberry bush, and some people only start picking the blackberries. They never see beyond that to the glory of the Creator who made it and put it all together. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every bush afire with God. It's not just something that happens to Moses in the desert. You can be walking anywhere in God's creation, and creation itself can leap out and speak to you. It's full of parables of nature. God is speaking through his creation in the grandeur of it and the majesty and the beauty of it, but also in the detail of it so that actually it can become to you a parable of nature if you have eyes to see. If you practice the discipline of reflection. So that's uh, what we're talking about here. Reflection, how can you do it? You can do it through journaling. That actually you keep a diary of your soul, your soul's journey with God. And from time to time you stop and you write down, what am I thinking, what am I feeling, what's been happening, what has been God saying to me, what promises have stood out for me. And then you keep a record of it that you can look back on and you can see often a pattern in what God has been saying to you. I'm sure lots of people here do journaling. How many people do journaling? Yeah, quite a few. It's a, it's a great tool to help you to become more reflective. Not like keeping a diary of your social events, you know, went to the pictures and had pizza and things like that. No, this is kind of this morning sitting in the tent in New Horizon, listening to the story of Jacob. Just felt God said this to me. You keep a diary of it. You keep a, that's journaling. You conserve. And then six months down the track, you're looking back, you, you come to what you'd written in, in, in August. You think, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was so clear. God spoke that so clearly to me. And rather than forgetting it, you've conserved it. It's there for you. That's journaling. Another thing you can practice very simply is the prayer of examen. This is an ancient form of prayer. When you reflect on your day, you come to the end of the day and you just say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, let's look at the day we just had. Where, we, where was God in my day? What things happened? How did God speak to me? How did God use me? What did I do that I'm a bit sorry about now? You reflect on your day. It's like you replay the videotape of the, of the day. And you ask yourself, God, where were you in my day? And if you learn to do that on a regular basis, then you will begin to see that God is in your day. Because sometimes we think, oh, just another day. Nothing really happened. And because we forget a lot that happens in the course of a day. But the prayer of examine is just something you can just do for a couple of minutes at the end of the day. Just reflect on the day. Where was God in my day? So that's the discipline of reflection, learning to become reflective people. The second discipline I want to share with you is that of Bible meditation. I emphasize the word 
Bible meditation, because many people practice meditation, but it's not necessarily Christian meditation. Christian meditation is not about emptying your mind, it's about filling your mind. It's about changing your thought patterns and letting the Holy Spirit renew your mind by dwelling upon the Word of God, upon Scripture. Because Scripture itself contains the very life of God. It's what Mary did in the birth stories, Luke chapter 2 there, Mary, it says she treasured all these things in her heart and she pondered them. Everything that had been said, all the things that were happening, she treasured those things. And then every now and then she would take those, out those memories and ponder them a bit more. What, what did Simeon mean when he prayed that prayer over us? What's the significance of these things? She meditated upon what had been happening. That's what Mary did. The psalmist in Psalm uh, 1 talks about, Blessed is the man. Uh, it does not sit with the sinners and the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. For Joshua, that was the way to success, that he meditated on God's law day and night, and he let it get deep into his heart. Paul says to us, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Have a great deposit of the word of God inside you, so that in times of trouble or difficulty, or sometimes times of opportunity, the Holy Spirit can bring from the resource that you have put within you the word that is appropriate for that time and that moment and speak it to you or speak it through you to other people. Because you have a rich deposit of the word of God inside of you. That's what meditation does for us. Meditation is about thinking deeply about something and getting the goodness from it. And when you meditate on the Word of God, you, it takes the truth from your head and plants it in your heart. So that that truth becomes yours. It becomes internalized. You digest it and it becomes part of your spiritual system. So you just take a verse, maybe sometimes even half a word, half a verse, maybe even a word, and you, in a sense you commit it to memory and then you just keep chewing it over it. You go through the day, you're just thinking about that verse in those odd moments when you are free to let your mind wander. It wanders on to the scripture that's at the heart of what you're doing. And you can choose what scriptures to meditate upon. If you're feeling anxious and afraid, then you can choose to meditate on scripture that will help you not to be afraid. I went through a period at the, uh, at the start of this year of some personal anxiety. I'm not actually an anxious person, but I became quite anxious about some things that were happening in the family, particularly with uh, my grandson. And I found myself really quite anxious and I knew that this was not a good state to be, so I, I began to look for the scriptures that would help me. And one of the scriptures uh, came from Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says this, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I knew that scripture already, but I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to look at that scripture to consider it afresh. And when you meditate, it becomes a kind of dialogue with, with the Father. So I took those words, and when I was going to sleep at night, or when I, if I woke up in the middle of the night a bit anxious, then this word would come to me, and I would chew it over some more. God said to me, have no anxiety about anything. My first response is, are you sure? Because we feel that we ought to be anxious, don't we? Somehow we feel that anxiety is something that uh, we should do. We should be anxious. But Jesus said, you know, don't be anxious about your life whatsoever. You don't need to do it. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change anything. It robs you of your, your love and your joy and your peace. Counterproductive. And it shows a lack of faith in me. So just don't do it. And Paul says the same. Have no anxiety about anything. Okay, so that's a bit of a rebuke. <laughs> but in a nice kind of way. I don't need to be anxious about anything. That's what scripture is saying. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything. So what should I do? Okay, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That's what I should do. So the first thing is I should pray. And prayer is that conversation with God whereby we can cry out to God in our need. And prayer is a wonderful gift to us. We can have this dialogue with God that's going on in our souls. So God is interested in me, is interested in my life, is interested in my grandson. I can tell him, I can just open my heart to him. And that's why the book of Psalms is so lovely. It's, it's people just crying to God from their hearts. That's prayer. And then petition is asking for specific things. Asking bringing our need and saying, God, what, what do you think about this? What do you want to do in this situation? So you begin to ask God that he will bring his healing, he will bring his freedom, he will bring his release, whatever it is that is needed in that situation, by prayer and petition. And then I noticed that there is this third word, thanksgiving. And the great danger of praying is that we, actually prayer can be an expression of worrying, can't it? We worry our prayers. We worry through prayer. We natter our prayers. But there comes a point where you, you've, you've cried to God and you've told God what it is you're concerned about and then you have to stop and you have to start giving thanks. Giving thanks that he has heard you and giving thanks that he knows what is best to do in that situation and then you can begin to relax and rest. So I'm... As I'm meditating on this verse, this is all coming to me and this is the dialogue I'm having with God. So you mean now, God, it's time for me to stop asking and to start trusting? Yes, exactly. And then something wonderful happens. Paul then says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Something wonderful. And... and it's not a dramatic thing, but just gradually this peace of God begins to seep into you because you're starting to trust God. Not worrying about it, but trusting God. Actually letting it go and casting your care upon Him. And suddenly this peace of God begins to seep into you. 
And it goes beyond understanding because if you go back to your rational mind, your mind is still saying, well, what if this, what if that? But actually, you're bringing your mind back and you're saying, no, God is in control. I'm going to trust him in this situation. He told me not to be worried or anxious. So this peace of God, it passes all human understanding and then it begins to keep and guard your heart, that's the seat of your emotions, and your mind, all these thoughts, it begins to keep in Christ Jesus. And it brings me back to my place of abiding in Jesus. What the situation did was to drag me out of my place of abiding in Christ. And I was forgetting that I am living in relationship with him. I just feel alone and afraid. Now, through meditation, I've been brought back to who I am in Christ Jesus. That's what we mean by meditation. Let the meditation of your heart be acceptable before God. And don't just worry, but turn worry into prayer. And instead of nattering, focus upon God. That's scripture meditation. Another thing we can do is Lectio Divina. That's an ancient thing. It's explained in the book about rhythms of grace. But, but let me just briefly explain what Lectio Divina is. We're used to studying the Bible comparing scripture with scripture, sharing our understanding of it and so on. And that's, of course, very important and very helpful. But there's another way of listening to God through scripture, which is taking a short passage, reading it aloud, and then listening, noticing what word or phrase stands out for you and seems to be given to you. And you can do this alone, you can do it with other people. It's a lovely thing to do in a group. You choose a little passage, you read it aloud the first time, you read it the second time, and then you say, okay, what word am I drawn to? What phrase am I attracted to? What's caught my attention? And then you trust in the process that that is the word that God wants to give to you. It becomes a very personal thing. And then you ask the question, okay, why has God given me that word? Why did it stand out? How does it connect with my life as it is today? And you think about that for a moment. And then you do the next step, which is to say, okay, now I've heard the word. I've seen how it connects with my life. What now should I do in response to it? It may be that there's a promise to believe by faith. It may be there's some action to take. It may be that it's something to ponder on some more about. It may be something that you want to give thanks for God. How am I going to respond to the word of God? Lexio Divina means divine reading. And it's a way of reading scripture in this sense that this, these are the words of God. And even a very individual word can convey the life of God to me. It might just be one word that stands out to me. And if you practice that, then you will develop a way of listening to the word of God that actually is sometimes triggered because God is always sending his word to us. Jeremiah says, and it says often in the prophets, the word of the Lord came to me. It comes to you. It finds you. It addresses you by name. And Lexio Divina is a lovely way by which you can listen with your heart to the word of God. And it bypasses sometimes all our rationality and our questionings and our trying to analyze and so on. And it takes us by surprise and you find that it rests in your heart. Lexio Divina, that's a great thing to practice. 
And sometimes, of course, you can sing the word of God in a meditative way, uh, taking scripture and just singing it gently, quietly. There are lots of lovely songs from Teze and other groups that teach us to do that. It's a way of letting the word of God dwell in us richly. So what deposit are you putting into your soul, into your spirit? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God is sending his word. We receive it, it becomes a, a rich deposit inside of us. And it does its work of change and transformation. And particularly it renews your mind. So that your thinking is changing. And if your thinking changes, your behavior will change as well. That's the discipline of Bible meditation. The last aspect uh, for tomorrow morning is, this morning is what we call contemplation. And in a sense, reflection and Bible meditation are two steps on the way to contemplation. Contemplation is a word that we use to describe that moment when I feel I am in the presence of God and I am conscious that I am with him and he is with me. It's a meeting. In a sense, it's when we take that time just to behold the beauty of the Lord. King David says in Psalm 27 that his great desire is to be in the temple so he can behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to point out to you that this is King David who is speaking. This is a man talking. I'm glad that there are lots of men here today because sometimes we think that contemplation and these things of the inner life are for ladies. Ladies are actually very responsive to the inner life. Men less so. Men, we tend to live in the outer life of action and activity and doing things. But King David is a real man. He's a warrior. He's also a poet. He's also a worshipper. And his heart desire is to see the beauty of the Lord. He knows something about it and he wants something more. And I want to encourage the men who are here to really seek for God with all your heart and not to be afraid of intimacy with God. Men are sometimes afraid of intimacy, with, they're afraid of any kind of intimacy <laughs> because it makes you vulnerable. It means you have to be in touch with your feelings and your emotions. And many of us men, we brought up, you know, to disregard feelings, emotions, they don't mean anything. It's a fact. That's what we are concerned about. Not, not any kind of emotions or anything. But we are emotional beings. God wants us to love God with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, with our whole being, really. And David was one who was not afraid to contemplate, to sit and be still and enjoy the presence of God. And in a sense, that's what we're doing in contemplation. We come, we arrive at that place where the, the, there's a stillness within us now and we can be responsive to the presence of God. We become present to the presence. We can allow God to love us and we can know that we are loved. That's a moment of contemplation. It's a moment of intimacy. Uh, I met my wife at Bible College, at London Bible College, and uh, she had come down from Scotland and she was studying and I knew that she was the right girl for me. But the college was pretty strict really, you know, we had hostels for the ladies and hostels for the men, and never the two shall meet really. 
except in the evening after you've done all your study about nine, nine o'clock, nine thirty, you could go to the refectory and, and have a hot chocolate or something and then you could meet up. So I used to arrange to meet Evelyn at nine thirty. But sometimes I couldn't really wait until nine thirty, so I would creep round the back of the girls' hostel. Unfortunately she was on the ground floor and I would just tap on the window to let her know that uh, that I was going for hot chocolate and it'd be nice to see her there. But sometimes, and she had a single room so I could do this, sometimes before I tapped on the window I would just look through the window and watch her. <laughs> not in a naughty kind of way. I'm not that kind of boy. But she would be doing her studies. And actually just to see her was just so wonderful. That's contemplation. When you, when you behold the beauty of the Lord, when you look at him and you see the love that he has for you and something rises in your heart in, your, in response. You see, with the love for God, the love of God is always first. John says we love because he first loved us. And it's when I look at God and I think of his love for me that then love for him arises in my heart. It's always a response. And in contemplation, meditation brings us to this place where we are still and quiet. And then I begin to reflect on the love of God and this unconditional love of God that if he can love Jacob, he can love me. And I let that love sink deep into my heart and it gives hope to me even in my moments of brokenness. And then love wells up within and, and this cycle of Loving and being loved gets going. In the Song of Songs, the girl, the beloved, says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's contemplation. She says, his banner over me is love. That's where God wants us to live, with the banner over us that says, you are my beloved. That's contemplation. And it's what changes us. So we, we come to this place of silent prayer, prayer beyond words. These moments, I'm not saying to you that they happen every day. They don't happen to me every day. They come as a gift from God. But we keep our hearts in the right place so that when God chooses to draw near, we, we are ready, we're awake to the call of our beloved. And when those moments come, we take hold of them with both hands, even if it's inconvenient, even if it happens in the middle of the night, God wakes you up and says, I want to have some time with you. God often asks to do that because we're so busy during the day, you can't catch our attention. So if you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, just ask, God, are you calling me here to spend some time with you? Because often that's where God has to find us. In our day-to-day -day lives, we're too busy. It's a gift from God. It's about allowing ourselves to be loved. To be loved in all our unloveliness. To be saying, God, I don't understand this, why you should choose me. I don't understand how you can use me when I've made so many mistakes and, and my choices are so poor. But I do believe that because your nature is love, God is love, that this love keeps flowing towards me. I don't have to deserve it. I don't have to merit it. You just love me because that's who you are. And then when you know yourself to be loved, you are free to be changed and transformed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are changed because we behold him. 
Not because we try hard to change. It's not a moral reformation. It actually comes through contemplation. When you look at God and you know that he loves you as you are because he knows you through and through and you allow yourself to be loved, you will start to change. The love of God will seep into you by osmosis, that process of gradual absorption. You hardly know it's happening, but suddenly you find yourself having a greater capacity to love other people and you think, where did that come from? It came because you contemplated the Lord in his beauty and his gentleness was formed in you. That's how we change and that's how when you hear these things as we heard last night about forgiving other people, that's impossible to the natural person. It's only possible because you've soaked and, and abided in the word of God and this, you've absorbed the very love of God. The very presence of God comes into your being. It says about the first disciples, they took note of them because they had been with Jesus. It's like the fragrance of Jesus was upon their lives because they, they had been with him. Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ. When, when people touch us, they get the fragrance of Christ, hopefully. Not the stench of death, but the aroma of Christ. I was on the tube once in London. And this tramp got on halfway through. And you could see he hadn't washed for days and he was dirty and unkempt and he was kind of singing to himself and making all kinds of noises. And as he got on the train, people kind of backed off, really. <laughs> and uh, so there was this big space where he came. And I thought, well, that's not very nice of people, is he? Is it? But then he moved down the carriage to where I was and he brought this aroma with him. <laughs> and it was not nice. And I found, oh, <laughs> I'll take a step back here. I'm going to get too close to that. And sadly, you know, some of us, even as God's people, we don't carry a nice aroma with us. We're sharp-tongued, we're bitter, we're cynical. We don't have the fragrance of Jesus at all. But when you spend time with him, that fragrance will linger. You yourself will probably not be conscious of it. But other people will. They'll see the love and the joy and the peace. And those are the things that are formed in us when we have taken time to be with God. Okay, that's enough from me, actually. I want to pause there because I want to ask a friend of mine just to share something about his own journey. Uh, I met uh, Clive three years ago here at uh, New Horizon. And... Uh, this kind of discovery of the contemplative dimension often takes us on a little journey, sometimes a big journey. And uh, it, journey is a metaphor that we often use for the Christian life, and it's, it's a metaphor that is often used in the contemplative way of thinking we're on a journey. And I want, I want Clive to share just for five minutes with you something of his own journey and story. One, because he's a man, so I want you men to listen very carefully. Uh, and secondly, because he's a real man, he's a pilot. Uh, he's worked in the jungles of Indonesia and uh, so on. And I uh, just want you to hear his heart as well. So Clive, will you just come and uh, share? Thank you. Give him a little welcome. Oh, thank you, Tony. <clears throat> well, good morning. And um, if you're here on Saturday night, uh, you might, did any of you were here on Saturday night? We saw the folks running around uh, in the circle there and they were celebrating the... Uh, the whole Bible of the Hoopla people, and I happened to be there. 
Well, my name is Clive Gray, and um, we could spend the whole five minutes here just talking about where I'm actually from. But uh, I was born in Carrick, believe it or not, and 15 years in Africa as a missionary kid, and then uh, America, I met my wife over there, and then God called me from flying Learjets for the millionaires. He just called me out of that and took me and my family to Indonesia. And it's been an amazing journey. Some amazing highs and tremendous experiences uh, that I wouldn't trade for anything. And then some really dark valleys and real challenges um, beyond mosquitoes and your neighbor eating the dog and, and uh, challenges like that. But in the midst of the jungles, um, and it began actually in some regards to coming alongside an encounter with a friend here in New, New Horizons. Uh, it was three, three years ago. And uh, it began a remarkable journey that here's this missionary, this evangelical out there flying over the jungles and doing this amazing work in the name of Christ starts to come to terms with who really am I? And it began this contemplative way. And these are words, big words, that Tony starts to unpack. And they're just beginning in my walk to start to take meaning. Reflection, contemplation, um, pause. Now, I'm a high people person. Uh, on the, I'm an, I was an ENTJ, which is the field marshal of getting things done. And, you know, I was professionally trained to walk around a plane and put these lives in the, on the side of a mountain and do that all day long and navigate some of the most dangerous weather and come home again. And s something takes place, men, that in some of these roles that we do, that sometimes our feet don't quite touch the ground on the way home. You take on a superman, and I think, I wonder just how many of these cycles and these middle-aged men in their, uh, you know, uh, black pants riding their bicycles, I just wonder how many of these mountains have been climbed to discover something for us to do. But I have begun a new freedom, uh, and I run out of words, and I certainly would love to talk to you some more about this. But part of the journey as this Baptist, um, solid Baptist, is he met me in a dream. Yes, and I'll tell you about it. Come see me later. It was a remarkable, vivid picture of a little boy weeping. And uh, he was alone and blind. And then this man... I can only say was the Spirit of God touched him and said, I'm with you. And I immediately woke up after the dream and identified myself as this little boy. And so I began this journey of asking the Lord to know him in a closer way. He said, it's all up here. And all of hundreds of us are out here in Indonesia giving our lives away. But what am I really giving away? It's a deeper question. Who am I? So then I've become to realize that there's a false Clive that I was telling churches, putting on videos, and look at what I do. 
look at what my family does. There's ego behind us. There's this projection of success. And uh, flying Bibles at the edge of the earth is some of the most remarkable things anybody could be a part of. But this aspect of encountering who I am began in many ways of coming to terms with how beloved I was. And Tony just shared that. And he spoke to me one morning. I was waking up and I can remember seeing through the curtains with my wife beside me and dogs and the drunks outside, which is typical. And he spoke and he said, Clive, I love you. I accept you. And I said, well, that's true, but that's a lovely thought and a lovely word. And as a 50-year-old man who's sort of on the tipping point and looking on the other side, instead of being paralyzed with anxiety and a change of career, now what do we do? I've come home with my youngest daughter and what have you. What's next for Clive? I've just thought to enjoy a deep breath. And for the first time in my life, I can honestly say, I'm not too sure, but that's okay. And so this aspect of um, encountering who I really am in Christ and experiencing that freedom. And again, I'm an infant with this. I encourage you, and particularly men, because I realize um, many women might be, I don't know, it's something to discover, but men, I encourage you to risk a journey like this. And there's no recipe Tony has just expressed some, some, some uh, steps to begin to take. But if you ask him to reveal himself to you in new ways, in fresh ways, bring scripture alive to you, he will do that. And so as I move forward on this journey, um, there's such a freedom in not as often needing to drop what I did or tell you about the mountains I've climbed. Because bit by bit, Jesus is changing and transforming who I am. And so the days that I feel unloved, maybe my wife is unkind or a, a son or a daughter, or, or somebody on Facebook doesn't say something nice to me, it doesn't sting quite as much. Because my value is less than what I've done and what I'm doing and who I want you to think that I am. Does that make sense? Young people, I hope you grasp this sooner than later because there's a falsehood, there's an awful lot of pressure to be something that we are not. And that is not the Jesus way. And so engage uh, in a new way and I will tell you, there is words that I've known and taught as a missionary, have meant, have just come alive. Love, peace, joy, patience. For an A-type, let's get this thing fixed, let's put a team together and let's get into the jungle and let's get this sorted and we're going to have these people in the kingdom. It never works that well. But now God is teaching me as an older man to say, take a deep breath, Clive. Relax. They're there. Walk with me.
And then things happen. You wake in the middle of the night. You will hear him. And he will speak to you. Conversations of strangers will come across. And you'll sit at a table. And this happens to me all the time. Somebody I've never met before. And we will start speaking. And it's like the men, uh, clear past on the road to Emmaus. They just ate because their hearts burned within them because they sensed that God was in that conversation. Can some of you relate? Seek that and uh, you'll be blessed for it. Thank you for this time, Tony. Thank you. Okay, we have a few minutes for questions from you. Anything you need uh, clarifying or explaining or want to know more about? Stunned into silence, I can't believe that. It's raining outside, there's nowhere to go. It's pouring. No questions for me, I can't believe it. First time ever in New Horizon, a question. Anne? Yeah. We struggle with meditation because it has negative connotations. Do you mean it's like New Age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think so. That some of us will have been so warned off meditation and things like that because, as I say, we think it's that process of emptying your mind. But meditation is a thoroughly biblical thing. You just take your concordance and look it up. And I've given you some verses there as well, you know. The man who is blessed by God meditates on his word day and night. It's what you meditate about, that's the key. Meditate on his word. And that's how your mind is renewed and how you're changed and transformed and how you put a deposit of God within you and how it sinks into your heart and then it holds you and grips you. Jesus said, you know, let my words abide in you. Let them find a resting place. Let them be at home inside you. Anything else? Yes. Bishop Harold, yes. Okay, oh dear me, yeah. <laughs> you know, about being very deliberate and planned. Yes, and planned, yes. Yeah. Yes, we're going to talk about that tomorrow, having a rhythm of life. Tomorrow uh, is about uh, keeping going then, okay, and about uh, enjoying intimacy with God in the midst of a busy life. Because that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? It's okay when you're on retreat, it's okay maybe when you're here, but, uh, but actually when you get back to work, when you've got young children, how do you live these things out? So we're going to talk about that tomorrow, and part of that is actually having a rhythm and a pattern that uh, keeps you and helps you to keep focused. So we'll, we'll say something about that tomorrow. It'll just be one of quite a few things that we'll share tomorrow. Yes, sir. Good. So many people read their portion for the day. Yeah. And they feel that they have fulfilled their responsibility to God. And if you ask them in 10 minutes' time what they had read, they could hardly tell you. This is a lost art today, this matter of meditating. Taking time with God is the thing that matters. Yes. Thank you. So uh, a friend is just saying this is a very profitable thing that you're hearing this morning. 
But it, but it, it's very true. You, you can just you know, do the motions, can't you? Read your Bible, the reading for the day, read the comments, do your prayer, off you go. It, and it never really captures your heart. It's about just taking that moment to let it sink deep within you and keep it with you in the course of the day as well. So you can be meditating wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You can be meditating on God's Word. It's just about bringing it to mind, keeping it there. It is a lost art, yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Where anxiety almost becomes clinical. I'm, I'm not sure that I do because I'm not a professional in that kind of area. Um, but I do believe it's one of the number one problems that we uh, face in, uh, well, as people, uh, but as uh, Christians as well. I spoke just a couple of weeks ago about my own experience of anxiety. And, I mean, uh, in, in our church, I've, I've been there 20 plus years, I've never known a response to anything I've said as big as on that morning when we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and where Jesus says, you know, do not worry about your life. Just don't do it. There's no point to it. It's not going to change anything. But I think the answer to it is that because worry is a form of meditation, but it's choosing to meditate on the wrong things, the negative, the possibilities, and it is about actually reprogramming the way that you think. Sometimes our mind has got into deep grooves. And, and as I was saying earlier, we think that worry, we ought to worry. We think that we should worry, that if we don't worry, we don't, we don't care. We actually have believed this lie that actually I ought to worry. Uh, some of us only feel good if we're worrying about something. But actually Jesus says, don't do it. You don't need to do it. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for itself. Live in this moment. I said that yesterday. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Live in today. With God, it's always today. Today. Do what you can today and then rest and trust in God. And that, so you, you, this is something that we can do. We can, we can change our thought patterns. We can renew our minds. Paul says, take every thought captive. When you get into this when you feel anxiety coming upon you, then that's the time to do something. Make a response back. Don't just let it carry you along. Sometimes the path that's been established in our mind of worry is just so deeply rooted, we just go down that path. Instead of saying, whoa, wait a minute, I don't need to go down there. Why? Because God has got hold of my life. In fact, this great big picture that Ian's been talking is about, this fact that I am caught up in the purpose of God, actually also stops us from worrying. Because God has got it all under control, actually. But, but what I found is this, you can't just bring this into play in a moment when you feel, this has got to be a lifestyle. Then it keeps you. You can't just because, okay, I just got bad news, suddenly I plucked this out of my out of the air. You can't. <laughs> That's why you've got to have this deposit. You've been working at this. Laying the foundations. So that you may still be shaken momentarily, but that's just being human. And although Paul said in that verse, you know, have no anxiety about anything. Actually, in another place he says, I've got the daily anxiety of all the churches upon me. 
So he isn't saying you will never feel anxious. You wouldn't be human if you didn't feel anxious. Anxiety actually helps us to prepare to deal with any threat to us. But anxiety need not capture us and hold us to ransom. And uh, that's where we take control of our thoughts and we bring our minds back to God and we fix ourselves upon him and his truth. And we know the biggest story. That okay, at this moment things seem bad, but actually I know that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. And that applies to me. It applies to my grandchildren. And it applies to, to other things. I, I'm not an expert, that's all, that's all I can say. And, and in the, the, the time that we have. Yeah. One minute, otherwise we'll close in prayer. Any last thing? Please do come and get a leaflet if you haven't got one about uh, Clear Pass. This is an organization based here in Northern Ireland that is putting on quiet days and retreats for clergy, but not just for clergy, for all of God's people as well. There's a whole program. I'd love you to give one to your minister because it's very important for ministers to get time away, but also for yourself and your friends. There's a whole program uh, there. So uh, I'm going to put these... Uh, I wonder if we could have them at the back. Could I, can I ask you to stand at the back door and, uh, and uh, give them out, okay? Thank you. Okay, let's just pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for this wonderful morning spent in your presence, hearing your word, and knowing in our hearts the still small voice that speaks to us by name. And says, this is what I want to say to you today. So we want to receive that truth into our hearts, Lord. And not just let it fall on stony ground. But please, Lord, let it fall on fertile ground. So that whatever it is that you're doing in us. Whatever it is that you're saying to us. We take hold of it with both hands. And therefore it accomplishes the purpose for which you send it forth. So continue with us, Lord, in the rest of this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you.